We are missing our beloved senior pastor, Scott Boger. He is at home sick. So if, if you want to go out the entrance this morning and just blare your horn for a little while as you go out, just to say hello, we love you, Pastor Scott, okay? He wrote me an email and told me that you could, do, no, he didn't really write me that email, but I'm sure he would love that. So we have a guest speaker here this morning. His name is Chris Cajano. He is the executive pastor at King's Chapel. Uh, what Chris and I have in common is we've been in our places of employment for about the same time. Uh, we've been working at them for about two years, and even before that, we were, we were doing other things and working in the church. So uh, we welcome Chris this morning. Why don't we just give him a round of applause and he'll share a little bit more with us. Bless you, brother. Good morning, everybody. Glad to see you. Thanks for the opportunity to be able to preach the word to you this morning. And I'll be praying for, for Scott. So like, um, like, uh, like um, we've been saying, we've been meeting together for a little bit, for about monthly, monthly, uh, monthly clip now for about a year, two years now with, with Scott and with, um, with, ever, with, uh, with you guys, your leadership here. So we're really happy um, to do that with Jeff and with Scott to just encourage each other uh, in the gospel. Um, and uh, we're just grateful for that partnership that we have in the gospel and our partnership with you guys as well. So for the leaders at King's and from the people at King's Chapel, they send their greetings and regards um, to, to you this morning. So we're going to be in um, Hebrews chapter 10 this morning. So if you have a chance, go ahead and pull out your Bibles and turn to that passage. Hebrews chapter 10. We'll be in the last few verses there, 32 to 39. I'm going to read that for you in just a minute. Um, but while you're turning there, just wanted to give you just a little brief synopsis about, about uh, what we're going to be learning here this morning from this passage. Uh, this is right before uh, Hebrews chapter 11, which is probably one of the most popular or at least uh, one of the most well-known chapters in, in the Bible, Hebrews chapter 11, which is called the, 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 the faith chapter or the, uh, the hall of faith. And uh, the, the, the author of Hebrews, we don't know who that person is. Uh, we, we know who the divine author is. We don't know who the human author is. Um, but um, is that author is writing to, the, to this group of people um, that, um, that they need to continue to strive forward in the faith. They need to, to cling to their faith in Christ while they're undergoing persecution. That's, that's, that's the whole theme of this book, really, um, is to continue to keep their eyes set on Christ. Um, and that he's this morning we're going to learn that the endurance in our faith is a characteristic of the Christian life. And, and that, that faithfulness is a byproduct of saving faith. It's, it's, tr it's trusting in the all-sufficiency, the superiority, and the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Now... Endurance is not a means of salvation. We're, we're not saved by enduring. We're saved by trusting only in Jesus Christ and his atoning work. Amen. We've seen that already this morning. For, it's, his, it's his grace alone. So it's because of Christ and um, what he has done for us, we are saved from sin. We're saved from Satan. We're saved from, from death. And it's by trusting in what Jesus' perfectly lived life, right, his sacrificial death and his resurrection from the grave. And so all those who have trusted Christ will faithfully love and serve him. That's, that's what the author wants to make clear this morning. And, and what we're going to learn today is that by cultivating that, that faithful endurance, by exercising that perseverance in the midst of suffering, that that's all going to begin with meditating on the gospel. 
It's all going to become from growing in our understanding, understanding and, and a greater understanding of each aspect, another facet of the gospel. And that's what the, the author is telling his readers, and that's what he wants us to know this morning, to, even 2,000 years later, that it was written to them originally, but also to us as well. He wants them, he wants us to latch on to the gospel so that when persecution arises, he's saying, don't take your eyes off of Jesus. Look back at what he has already done for you in the past at the cross, and then also look forward to the, the future that we have, re, the, the future reward that we have that he has prepared for us. And that's what's going to give us the, the motivation, that's going to give us the confidence, the endurance that we're going to need to live faithfully in the midst of persecution and, there, and in any present circumstances that you're going through this morning. So those are the two main points that I want to talk to you about this morning is that the author is going to point us first to look back and then he's going to point us to looking forward. So let me, with that said, now that you've probably had enough time to turn to Hebrews chapter 10, let me go ahead and read that for you. Um, Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 32 to the end of the chapter. This is the very word of the Lord. Hear this this morning. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Thanks be to God for his wonderful word this morning. So let's first turn attention, like I said, we're going to look back and then look forward. So first looking, looking back, the, the, the author wants, us, wants the, the audience, the original audience, to, to, to kind of travel back in time, as it were, to revisit the days when they were first enlightened, as he says. Now, enlightenment literally means like the shining of light, right? So that, that's probably a motif you've heard over and over again, especially if you're reading John's gospel. He's huge on the, the, the contrast between light and dark, darkness. And that's used over and over in Scripture to, to, to teach us, to show us, and to describe the, the, the miraculous, life-giving work of Jesus Christ that's, that's applied to the sinner's heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. So when the Spirit... When the Holy Spirit has accomplished the work of regeneration, pretty much which is resurrection of a dead sinner's heart, that heart that was once gripped by sin and by darkness has now been granted the light of life. So salvation from sin only comes through, as we said, faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, of that new awakening, we, we get a glimpse at, at the glory of God, at the wonder of who God is. In fact, that's actually how the author begins his letter. He, he refers to Jesus as being the radiance of the glory of God. If you look back at chapter 1, verse 3, that he shines the light of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And uh, so unlike all the, the prophets and, and the messengers that came before Jesus, that, that all foretold about his coming, all the heavenly hosts that do all of God's bidding and serve him, only Jesus alone shines forth the glory of God. 
and the author this morning is confident that his readers have experienced that, that same awakening, awakening to the glory of God. And he's speaking to those who have trusted Jesus. And, and they've been transferred from that, from that kingdom of darkness now to the kingdom of God's beloved son, Jesus Christ. And that's why he calls them brothers and sisters in, in, in verse 19. He, he wants to reassure them of the certainty, of the security of their salvation. And he wants to encourage them to press on. To, to, pers- to persevere in their faith and, and to, to continue as they battle persecution. So his reminder is not simply then just to, to think back at that time that you first trusted Jesus, although that is something that can be helpful to do. But he wants to draw their attention actually to, to those, those first days immediately following their faith in Christ, their, their justification. When they, when they first were converted, when they, when they came to faith in Jesus Christ... And in that time, they were undergoing intense persecution. And and in the midst of that, they they proved themselves to be faithful followers of Jesus Christ. So their faith was not just a one-time decision. It was, but but it was much more than that. It had now become a mark in their life, a lifestyle that was marked by endurance. And the reason that he wants to to bring attention to their, to their past suffering and the endurance that they, that they proved is so that they will continue in that. They, they will continue to remain confident in Christ in the midst of their persecution they're undergoing now, a, a new strand of persecution. So I'm sure we've all probably heard that, that phrase, well-known phrase, that those who forget history, right, are doomed to repeat it. Well, the author here is actually telling them He's reminding them of their past so that they will repeat it. He wants them to remember their victories that had come previously. And he's urging them in the midst of that to remain faithful. But he also wants to tell them that their endurance was not due to some kind of arrogant self-confidence. But instead it can only be attributed to their confidence in Christ himself and what Christ has done. So get this, their past victories only make sense, they're only possible because of the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's no no amount of human effort that could enable them to persevere in 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 their faith as they faced what he says are hard struggles of suffering. And just as it was the grace of God that saved them, so it's also the grace of God that's going to sustain them in the midst of what they're going through. And he's hoping that by, by showing them the evidence of their past victories and their faithfulness, that, that they're going to see that God was with them and that God was moving through them and working through them. And that's going to be his, his way of encouraging them to remain faithful to Christ in their distress. So their faithfulness should not just then live in their memories, as we're going to see, but it, it should also define their present lifestyle. And the question... The first question we look at, we look at the passage is, okay, well, what kind of sufferings were they going through? Well, the context here is very clear. They were experiencing persecution because of their faith in Jesus Christ. He says, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those who were so treated. So 
So rather than, than being embraced by the world for their faith in Christ, for worshiping the risen Jesus, for, for worshiping the King of Kings, instead they, they were hated and they were detested for their faith. And the glorious and miraculous grace of God that they had experienced and, and that they declared to the world was being perceived by the world as, as, as what Paul says in 2 Corinthians, it was, it was being received as the stench of death. And the author now goes on and he lifts some of the ways in which they, they were persecuted. Shows that he knows his audience well. He's, he's showing pastoral care and love for them. He says, first, they were publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. And because of the public nature of their faith, they were being publicly insulted. They, they were being ridiculed. They were made fun of. They were berated publicly. And the Greek word that's, that's used here, a public reproach, is actually where we get the same word, or English word, for, for theater. So their mistreatment was in, was, in a sense, put up on stage for everyone to see. It was out and it was open. It was uncensored. And it even had crossed over to the point of physical affliction, of abuse. Not to the degree, of, not to the degree yet of martyrdom, um, as he says in chapter 12. That, that hasn't arrived on the scene yet. They haven't been martyred for the faith, but they were being persecuted for the faith and publicly uh, abused. And then he says, but what about those who also were somehow able to escape persecution and, and ridicule? Well, they actually came alongside those who were persecuted, their brothers and sisters in faith, and, and they sympathized with them. They empathized, not from afar, not just from, from afar and said, you know, we'll, we'll see what you're going through, we'll pray for you. But he was actually coming in and join, they're joining in with their sufferings. Their love for one another ha had compelled them to risk their own reputations and their own safety and security as they came and they, and they visited their brothers and their sisters who were in prison rather than retreating in fear. It's not easy for us all these centuries later to, 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 to really see in our own culture what they were going through and, and, and overlook. It's easy for us to overlook the, the courageousness of, the, of their love for one another. Because right? the prisons at that time were not like they are nowadays. We've got to remember that. Prisoners, they, they weren't provided food. So if you were imprisoned, you faced the real, very real prospect of starvation. And these Christians came alongside one another. They showed true selfless love by bringing food, bringing clothing, you know, encouraging them as they came and visited them and told them to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Even though it meant that, that they would be seen by others and then they might even uh, face themselves a very real threat of ridicule and, and, and being in prison themselves for doing that. So that being said, what are some ways that, that we can relate? What are some ways, that, some applications that we can take from this, uh, from this passage this morning? Well, there's a couple things. There's probably a lot more than, than two, but for the sake of time and, and for the sake of these are the, probably the most obvious, I'll give you these two. First... The first thing we learn is that endurance isn't simply a personal endeavor, okay? Our culture today has conditioned us to think that uh, in, in, to the extent of individuality over and above or at the expense of community, right? Spiritual endurance is actually a community project. 
Yes, we're, we're of course individually called to pursue Christ, to love him with all of our hearts, our mind, our soul, our strength. But we're also responsible for loving one another, right? The second commandment. We do that by, by stirring up one another to love and to good works, as he says in, in the same chapter, verse 24. And that includes sympathizing with one another's struggles, to edify one another. That means build each other up in the faith, calling each other to, to continue to pursue holiness and, and to pursue faithfulness. So the question for us is, are, are we encouraging those around us that's, that their faith seems to be waning or their, or their faith is drying up? Or maybe you yourself are struggling with, their, with your faith in Christ because of the spectacle, the spectacle that's being made of Christ in our culture or, or maybe um, other, other Christians that you know are, are being berated. Or maybe you're, you're seeing uh, that persecution um, coming out in social media or academia or in the media in some ways. Or maybe you've actually experienced it firsthand yourself. Right? If you're struggling in your faith, then I would say reach out to those around you for wisdom, for guidance. If that, especially to your leaders, right? To, to your pastors who love and care for you. The fact is that we all need encouragement. Amen? And so that giving and receiving of encouragement with one another, doesn't get, it's not going to happen outside of community. It's just not. It's not going to happen outside the, the context of the local church. So that's one, that's one thing that we can learn, that endurance isn't simply a personal endeavor. But number two, we can learn that victory in the Christian life is not measured by the removal of or the avoidance of suffering. It is remaining faithful in all circumstances, especially in suffering, right? It's remaining faithful in all circumstances, not in just the quiet recesses of your heart, but it's played out in a lifestyle of humble and joyful, worshipful obedience to the, to the great commandments, that to love God and to love other people. The great commandment and also the, the great commission to go and to make disciples as well. And that is going to inevitably bring with it persecution. And the recipients of Hebrews, this letter, were so persecuted that they couldn't even find safety or comfort in their own homes. If you were discovered at a time to be a Christian, then your home was broken into and your possessions were stolen. And yet, in all of this, at the same time, they showed great joy. John Piper, Pastor John Piper, describes this as, quote, indomitable, life-producing joy. He says this, which I want to uh, share with you this morning. Quote, the key to indomitable joy that produces love and good works, that share in the loss of property that others have experienced, is knowing that you have for yourself a better possession and an abiding one. When you know that you have a better and a lasting persuasion, you're not paralyzed by loss. If that possession is great enough, you will be able to rejoice in loss, unquote. So how were they able to rejoice in the midst of this terrible persecution? They knew what reward was waiting for them, right? It was worth far more than the transitory or the temporary possessions of this world. But the author knew that they were 
in their present circumstances, they were being undone. They, they had kind of lost sight of that reward. They, they had lost sight of that e- eternal perspective. They become short-sighted. And so the author wants now to, to shift their focus from looking to the past victories, and now they want them to show them their future glory in Jesus Christ. And that brings us to the second point, to look forward in, in verses 32 to 39. So the loss of the, their possessions had proved now to be a reprioritization on their part, a re- reorientation on what was, what was important in their lives. And they remembered that they had an otherworldly possession that had not been touched, that could never be seized by those that were persecuting them. And this possession was, uh, he says, a better possession. He says it was an abiding possession. It was better in that it was superior to anything on earth, that anything that could be invented on earth or can be constructed or could be manufactured or could be distributed, nothing could be consumed or could be experienced on earth that would devalue this greater and infinitely better possession that was in front of them. So it was better, and it was abiding, he says. It, it could never be stolen. It could never be destroyed or could never be degraded. It, it, was, it lasted forever. But as, as verse 35, as we see, it indicates, they'd lost sight of this. Their confidence was, was waning and the pressure was mounting and they were on the verge of, of throwing away their faith in Christ. And so the writer is here, he's stepping in. And he's telling them to, to look forward, to refocus your attention on that promised reward. That it's, it's the will of God that, that, that they endure their present sufferings so they will receive that better and abiding possession. And what is that better and providing, provided re, uh, possession that, that's, that they look forward to? Is it heaven? Yes. Eternal life? Absolutely. Is it the end of suffering and, and, and the end of sorrow and lament? Praise God, yes it is. Is it the defeat of, uh, of ultimately defeat of death itself? Praise God, yes it is. Yes to all these and so much more. And yet, as great as all of these rewards are that we look forward to, they all come from the hand of our ultimate reward. And his name is Jesus Christ. Amen? Psalms. Chapter 1611 reminds us that you make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Jesus is better than all this world has to offer. And when we believe that, when we realize the certainty of being with him forever, that's our eternal reward. That's all the reason that we need to continue to endure. So the question for all of us this morning is, do we see Jesus as better? Do we see him as far more glorious a reward than the stuff and the things of this world? If I'm honest, I don't. I don't always see Jesus as better. Shame on me. Sometimes I look at the things that, I, that, that are going on in the world around me and, and the small world that I live in, I think this is enough. Or, or I, maybe if I add this one more thing to my life, or if I, if I add this thing to, to my collection of stuff, or this one experience to my, to my scrapbook of experiences, or this one more thing to my list of experiences, then I'll be content, right? Then I'll be happy, and then I'll be able to, 
to endure and to live faithfully, right? How foolish. Not just foolish, but how dangerous is that, right? If we're meditating on the gospel regularly, if we're truly receiving gospel encouragement from one another, then that's going to strike us at the heart. That's going to to bring us to our knees in repentance and then also to the heights of celebration for all that Christ has done for us in the gospel. It will remind you that, that you can't love Jesus and stuff, right? I can't love Jesus and the world the same time. That's that's just not an option for Christians, right? To love the world, to make the stuff and the things and the money and the experiences and the relationships, the power, the success, all these things as as the supreme object of my devotion and security is then to abandon Christ. That's called idolatry. Even good things that that we, we bring up as ultimate things. That's idolatry. And, and, and to also to, to adopt some kind of a self-confidence as a way of getting through and, and, and living satisfied life is instead of Christ, is, it's to discard Christ. And that's, and that's called pride. So my question again for us this morning is, are, are you constantly reminding yourself, are we constantly reminding ourselves of the sufficiency of Christ, of the superiority of Christ, of the supremacy of Christ? Are you diligently delighting in Jesus Christ? Right? It, it takes discipline to, to maintain our confidence in Christ. It does. Not because there's a deficiency in Christ and what he's done or, or in his trustworthiness, but because there's, there's a deficiency in me, in us. We continue to struggle with, with sin and, and with weakness. And as the reformer Martin Luther said, the believer is simultaneously a sinner and a saint. We sang one of his, his hymns this morning, Mighty Fortress. We are simultaneously sinner and saint. We, we have to exert every effort to continue to, to kill sin that's in our life, in our life that's, that's remaining by actively relying on the Holy Spirit's purifying work. It's called sanctification, the ongoing uh, growing in holiness. It's by relying on the Holy Spirit's work. And that means reading God's word, meditating on God's word. It means getting God's ear in prayer. It means fellowshipping with with one another, with fellowshipping with with God's people, the church. So the question, another question, I've got a lot of questions because there's a lot of application points in this text is, are we continuing to cultivate these habits of grace in our life? Are we we taking time aside to step back and to to contrast the things of this world with Christ himself, right? Is it entered into your mind to take that that one object that's still lingering in your mind, that that one object of your intense desire, and are are we holding it up to Christ and seeing him as more glorious, as more beautiful, as as more precious to us? And the author is going to now drive home his point of looking forward by and to cling to Christ by looking back at the Old Testament scriptures. These were, this was a primarily a Jewish audience of Christians, so they knew their Old Testament really well. And, and what he's do, doing here is, he, interestingly, he, he combines two different passages, Habakkuk 2, 3 to 4, and Isaiah 26, and he weaves them together in this, in this wonderful way to promote this fact that Jesus is going to return one day. 
He says, yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. He's telling them Jesus' second coming is just as certain as his first coming. And that serves as both a, a warning to us, but also as a sense and a source of encouragement for us as well. That God uses these warnings, like the one that we have here this morning, to help believers to persevere and to challenge those that are make-believers. So when we read warnings like this, it should cause us to pause, to examine our hearts, and if we have unconfessed sins, right, it's an opportunity to remind ourselves of the gospel, of the good news of Christ, to, and to repent of sins, and then to revel in the grace of God, right, and his mercy and his love that he pours out on us. Because of Christ. It's a reminder of the astounding reality that, that I am called God's righteous one here. Only Jesus should be called God's righteous one. But he has incredibly exchanged my sin for his righteousness. His righteousness has now been imputed to me. Now I have the righteousness of Christ to add to my account. So now, because of that, God has, never, has a never-fading pleasure in me. Right? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, Romans 8.1. And that truth is going to sustain me in the midst of persecution. That's going to remove the fear of man that's, that's in the way. And it also removes the fear of God's impending judgment because now instead I can welcome Christ's return knowing that I'm finally going to be with my Savior and with my Lord. So the, these warnings are our, our way of repositioning our gaze on Christ. And to motivate us to, to continue to faithfully endure and to await his coming. But for the make-believer, one who is just playing the part but has no true faith, goes on deliberately sinning. The one who shrinks back, he's using, he's using all different kinds of, uh, of, 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 of descriptions of this in this, in this book. That person is, is in fear, should be in fear of God's ultimate judgment and destruction. That person is going to tap out in the midst of persecution because there's no root of faith. That person abandons Christ. The apostate abandons Christ when the pressure gets too high or when the cares of this world, when the deceitfulness of riches chokes the word of God that has been preached to them. One side note, as I say that, is that it's important to remember we can't see in the human heart. So obviously, we don't know who ultimately will place their faith and trust in Christ. It's not our job to judge other people. That's what God will do one day, right? But instead, we, we leave, we, we, we live with this, that we're going to remain faithful in the midst of our sufferings, that we're going to preach the gospel to ourselves daily, and we're going to preach that same gospel to others and we're going to do that in word and in deed, even at the temporary cost of suffering and ridicule because we know that the re eternal reward that awaits us is far much better. So the question for all of us once again, have you trusted in Jesus Christ? Have you believed in the gospel? In case you haven't heard the gospel, or maybe we need a reminder. We all need a refresher from time to time what the gospel is. The gospel is this, that Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God who left the glories of heaven, and he humbly took upon himself human flesh. He lived a life of perfect obedience to the Father. And as the only truly innocent person who ever lived, he suffered ridicule, violence, betrayal, and even the excruciation of crucifixion. And he did this 
to save his enemies. We are all by default enemies of God, willful rebels against the sovereign creator and ruler of this universe until Christ stepped in and he rescued us, amen? Jesus' death on the cross was not arbitrary. It was the penalty for the sin that we deserved. And he experienced the wrath of God. He experienced a death that we should have experienced on the cross. But he joyfully endured this persecution and the cross because it would accomplish something that was far greater than, than, than just the, the, the suffering that he went through. Because what it did was that it purchased, it purchased for him a bride. It purchased for him the church. For all those who trust in him, they're thereby secured an eternal reward for those who have trusted in Christ and remained faithful. So if you have not surrendered to Christ, then I have the great privilege of this morning to tell you that today could be the day of your salvation. That you can be saved from the fear of God's judgment and you can find Christ as your treasure of your heart, the one that we were made for worship. And if you are a believer, maybe you've suffered for your faith. You've been ridiculed for your faith. For your faith. If so, then don't be downcast Right? Do you count it all joy for suffering for his name? Or, or maybe you fear that ridicule will keep you. Maybe that ridicule has been keeping you from demonstrating and declaring the good news of the gospel. Let me remind you, to, as what our author is, is telling us this morning, to look back at the cross, but also look forward to the reward of Jesus Christ's return. Don't give up. Hold fast to your faith. Hold fast to your confidence in Christ. Rely on him for his strength to endure your sufferings. Ask the spirit of God to continue to fan into flames your love for Christ and your love for others. And lastly, the question is, are we praying for those around the world who are being persecuted for their faith, for our brothers and sisters around the world? I pray that we, that we do, that we remember them. Let me close by reading this brief passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 through 18. Paul reminds us, so don't, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, they're temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Heavenly Father, thank you once again for your word. Thank you for your eternal word, Jesus Christ. But also thank you for the word of God and the scriptures that we have that we can know you. Uh, we thank you for this reminder that we can hold fast to, to our faith in Christ. Not because we're holding on to our own strength, but because we are clinging to Christ. So I pray that we would do that well in all of our lives, that we would continue to worship Christ. We'd see him as most glorious over the things of this world and that we would um, continue to demonstrate and declare the gospel, telling others about the good news of Jesus Christ so that they can also understand and see and savior Christ in their lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.